Our scripture reading before John's lesson will be taken from Genesis 13. Genesis 13, if you're using the Red Pew Bibles, that's on page 9. And looks like it's from 8 to 13. The bulletin says 5 to 13, but I'm going to go with the, the script on the, on the front. Uh, Genesis 13, verses 8 through 13. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will take the right. Or if you go to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. That is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the, of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zorah. Then Lot chose for himself all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the city of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after, said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt in, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. The Bible would tell us tonight, don't forget who you are. Remember who you are. It's important for us to go back to the Bible and allow it to in inform us and instruct us about our identity. And one of the things that we need to, to think about is the fact that the Bible tells us we are pilgrims, that we're sojourners, that this world really is not our home. Open your Bibles to two passages with me as we introduce our lesson this evening. If you've got your Bible open in Genesis 13, just keep your finger there. But look at Hebrews 11 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. And notice what's said. Don't forget who you are. The Bible's talking about heroes of faith. And it says in Hebrews 11:13, speaking about men like Abraham and uh, Jacob and Isaac, it says, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Don't forget who you are. We don't belong here. We are strangers and we are pilgrims. Another passage, turn to 1 Peter 2 and look at verse 11. 
1 Peter 2 verse 11, passages to ponder regarding our identity. There's a lot being said about how we identify ourselves these days. We've got to get our identity from somewhere. The Bible is the very best place to receive an identity because it's written by our maker and it's given to tell us about his purpose and his intention for our lives. In 1 Peter 2 verse 11, the scripture says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. God is saying, you are a sojourner in this life, you are a pilgrim, this world is not your home. In another passage it says, our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3 and verse 20. And so the question becomes, well, what does it look like to live like a pilgrim? If, if my identity is that I'm supposed to be a stranger, a sojourner, a pilgrim, what does it look like to live like a pilgrim? You ever think about that? As we're buying homes and as we're remodeling kitchens and as we're looking for new vehicles and as we're looking for our next career, whatever that might be, or our next career move, do we ever stop and ask, what would a pilgrim do? How would a pilgrim make this decision? That's what this lesson is about tonight. Turn back in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 13. Abram and Lot are the subject of what's happening in Genesis 13. And this passage begins with a really happy problem. In Genesis 13 verse two, the Bible says that Abram was very rich in livestock. And not only that, he's got silver and gold. And so he and Lot, uh, he and Lot they are relatives. They come back from Egypt where they fled because of a famine. And the scripture tells us that they come into the promised land. They're in the south part of Canaan. And Abram and Lot have a happy problem. Their flocks and their herds and the people that they have in their, in their realm of influence are so numerous that there's just not enough space. There's just not enough resources. Look at what it says in verse five. It says, Lot went with Abram, had flocks, tents, herds. It says, the land was not able, Genesis 13, 6, to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they couldn't, they could not dwell together. And there was strife, it says in verse 7, between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Now, why does it say that at the end of verse 7? Because the Canaanites and the Perizzites are watching Abram and Lot. And if these two men who've been blessed by God, the true God, the almighty God, if these two men can't get along, well, what does that say about God? And what does that say about his ability to provide for his people? And so there's a problem in their relationship because there's so many herdsmen, there's so many flocks and not enough resources. And so Abram says to Lot, verse eight, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. He goes on and says, is not the whole land before you? Separate from me, Lot. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Abram is an amazing example of faith. We're gonna talk more about him in just a moment. The question before us is with these two men and their happy problem, but it is a problem, they're gonna to have to separate because they are so wealthy and they have so many resources that there's just not enough space for everybody. What does it look like to live as a pilgrim? And in this passage, Lot is a negative example. And in this passage, Abram is a positive example. 
That's our outline for the, for the lesson this evening. Lot is a negative example of what it means to look like a pilgrim and Abram is a positive one. And so in verses 10 through 13, let's consider Lot first tonight. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. What does it mean if I forget that? What does it look like if I don't think properly about that principle? Negatively, notice in verse 10 what Lot does. This is our first point in our lesson. Negative example of a pilgrim. The scripture says in verse 10 that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. And so Lot looks and he lifts up his eyes and he sees the advantages of the land. It's a rich land, it's a fruitful land, it's a good land. It's a land where his, his herds, they can just multiply exponentially. And as Lot looks at the land that he's going to choose, he's only thinking about what he can see. And there's an irony here, brothers and sisters. The irony is that Lot sees the advantages, but he doesn't really see. Even though he's looking at all the blessings and all the riches and all the good that this can do for him, he doesn't really see. Because the Bible goes on to tell us in this very same passage that Lot does not consider the dangers that are associated with the land he chooses. And so the Bible tells us that he chooses this rich, fruitful land. And then it tells us some negative things. In verse 12, it tells us that Lot pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And then it tells us in verse 13, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. You know, sometimes the Bible almost sounds in its tone like it's fretting, like it's almost wringing its hands, if you will, over the decisions people make. And in this case, especially, here's Lot and he's choosing to pitch his tent towards Sodom because the land looks fruitful, because he sees what it can provide, but he's not paying attention to the dangers associated with being close to that place. Those men, those people are exceedingly sinful. They're exceedingly wicked. There have been more than one sermon preached over the years about how Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom and vexed his righteous soul. You know what Lot did? When he pitched his tent towards Sodom, not only did he lose his family ultimately, when you get over to Genesis chapter 19, these decisions, they bear fruit, they go to seed and he loses his family, but he also loses his common sense. Lot is saying and doing things in Genesis 19 that are just, they're not rational. The things he's offering and the things he's saying to the people of the town around him and even his pleading for and desire to stay where he is and his wife's desire to stay where she is. Those things, I don't think Lot ever saw those coming. Here's the point for you and me. When it comes to being a pilgrim in this life, when it comes to living like a pilgrim, we need to pay attention to what we don't see. What you see, yes, it looks like a good option. It looks like a good decision. It looks like a good, good choice, but it's what we don't see that can be dangerous. It's the things we don't see that can cause tremendous problems down the road if we're not thinking about the implications of what we choose. And this passage would have us, brothers and sisters and friends, to beware of some things. This passage would have us to beware in the first place of trusting our own wisdom, 
of thinking that we see every possible danger and every possible issue. If something looks almost too good to be true, it may well be. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. You ought to use your understanding in making decisions, but do not lean on it, the Bible says. Sometimes people use God in making decisions and lean on their own understanding. We need to trust in God with all our hearts. Don't trust your own wisdom. Don't think that you've got all the answers to all the questions. And that's a second thing to be aware of, imagining that we see everything clearly. Where does the Bible say it's wrong to pitch your tent down there by Sodom? Where does the Bible say that it's wrong for me to make this choice? Abram's the one that told me, and he's the, he's the, 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 uh, the promised guy. He's the one that received the promises from God. Abram's the one that told me to make the choice, and why would it be wrong for me to do this? Certainly nothing in the Bible says I can't. But imagining that we see everything perfectly clearly. In John 9, 2, and 3, there was that man born blind, and the apostles asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They did not see clearly, and Jesus Jesus had to correct their understanding. Beware of imagining that we see everything clearly. And beware, brothers and sisters and friends, if you're going to live like a pilgrim of thinking that we can handle this. Yeah, there will be some temptation. Yeah, there will be some danger. Yeah, pitching our tent in the direction of Sodom. Okay, I see that there could be some complications there. We can handle it. We can deal with it. It won't affect me. It won't won't get to my heart and it won't get to my family's heart. Parents, there are some decisions we make with our kids when they're young and even when they're teenagers that we don't always think about the negatives of those decisions. There may well be liberty, there may well be nothing biblically wrong with making those decisions, but thinking about Lot and thinking about what it means to live as a pilgrim means that the choices we are making as parents and young people, the choices we make when we're young, those choices will bear fruit of one kind or another. Is this something that's gonna help me be more like Jesus? Is this going to magnify and help my influence for him in the community and in the church and in my school? Those kinds of questions need to be asked by parents. They just do because we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. And all the time as parents, we sometimes act like we're trying to root our kids in this world. That is not our goal as parents. We need to teach them to be pilgrims, sojourners, we're, we're not staying here. This world is not our home. And if we're going to live as pilgrims, it's not just what we see, the benefits and the good things. If I involve them in this, it's not just the benefits that we need to consider. It's the dangers that we don't see. Those things need to be considered. Those of us who are thinking about our career choices and we're thinking about what we're doing with our lives, we need to do the same thing. Before we ever make that leap, before we ever take that jump and and go to a different career, or before we ever decide that, you know what, we're going to take this promotion, we need to stop and ask, am I potentially pitching my tent towards Sodom? And brethren, there needs to be a lot of prayer that goes along with this. There needs to be a lot of reflection on this. Is this something that's going to lead me ultimately away from the Lord? In fact, let me just give you some questions to ask yourself. Whether it's your kids, whether it's you, no matter what the the, the question is, we ought to ask these kinds of things. Number one, 
Will this opportunity, will this activity, will this endeavor estrange me or distance me from my family? If it makes it harder for us as families to live in a God-honoring way, we ought to stop and ask, is this really best? Is this really what we need to do? Because we want to live like pilgrims. We want to live like strangers and sojourners. Second question, will this opportunity or activity disrupt worship? We're going to talk about how Abraham worshiped in just a moment. Pilgrims worship, brethren. Pilgrims are worshipers. They worship their way through life. That's what pilgrims are all about. That's what sojourners are all about because our citizenship is somewhere else. And so we worship our way through life. And if we're making decisions that are going to impair our worship, if they're going to impair our ability to be a part of the worship of God's people publicly or our private worship, singing praises and offering prayers and sacrifice of the fruit of our lips to God, those kinds of things, we ought to ask, am I being like Lot here? Question number three, will this decision desensitize me to sin and evil? Is this going to lead me to a place where sin is not going to be quite that big a deal in my life? Is this going to do something to me where I'm not affected so much by sin anymore because I'm close to it and I'm used to it and I just kind of shrug and I say, well, that's not me. I see the people around me doing that. That's not me. You cannot be close to people like that for a long period of time without being affected, without being influenced. All of us need to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We don't need to withdraw from the world. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I am saying that when we pitch our tent towards Sodom, when we do what Lot did, we see the benefits, but we never think about any dangers. When that's the way we make decisions, we're going to end up pitching our tent in a place where we're the ones being influenced. And then fourth question to ask, will this help or will this hinder my growth in Christ-likeness? There are frankly a lot of things that we have liberty to do. The Bible does not forbid these things. The Bible doesn't say this is always sinful in every circumstance under every, every conceivable um, place. The Bible doesn't say those things and yet still those questions need to be considered because, because the Bible's saying, don't forget who you are. You're a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. This world is not your home. And there are a lot of people like Lot over the years who have just looked at opportunities and all they've seen are the benefits and they've never thought once about the bitter fruit that they're going to reap because of where they chose to pitch their tents. It's about being a pilgrim. Second tonight, as you look at verses 14 through 18, you're going to notice, and also verses 8 and 9 as well, by the way, the positive example, that's Abram. He's not Abraham yet. He's going to be soon in Genesis, but in Genesis 13, he's still Abram. Positive examples. Look at verses 8 and 9. There are five positive qualities of pilgrims that are, that are listed here, that are shown here in this passage. Positive quality of pilgrims, number one, a true pilgrim is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, verses eight and nine. There are certain people who just enjoy a good fight. They just enjoy stirring the pot. They enjoy when people are at each other's throats. They just like to fight. Pilgrims don't do that. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called the sons of God. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, a pilgrim is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Abram thinks about Lot and what he does is exactly what Paul tells us to do in Philippians two, verses three and four. He considers Lot, he esteems Lot better than himself. He thinks about others first. Lot, you can have the first choice. I remember hearing this story, by the way, Genesis 13. I remember hearing this when I was about this tall. I don't know what grade I was in, but I remember repeating over and over and over in Bible class, Abraham gave Lot the first choice. And I'm pretty sure the application for us, whatever age that was, was you're supposed to think about others too, and you're supposed to share with others, and you're supposed to give others the first choice. I just, that's ingrained in my head somewhere. But for our purposes, a true pilgrim is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. There's strife, there's division, and this could explode, but God's reputation is at stake. The Canaanites and the Perizzites are watching. And this is a decision that needs my humility, Abram says. I need to humble myself and give Lot the first choice. Second, a true pilgrim enjoys the freedom of God's providence. Now think about this. God has already promised the land to Abram. Genesis 12, verse 7. I will give you this land, God said. I will make you fruitful. I will make you multiply. I'm going to bless you. And it really doesn't matter where Abram is. The promise holds true. If you're taking notes, write that down. Wherever Abram is, God is going to bless him. God has promised to do that. It's got nothing to do with whether the land he's on is well watered and well irrigated and fruitful. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And so as a pilgrim, here's what Abram does. He thinks about the promise God made and he says, Lot, you pick. Because God and his providence is gonna do what God has promised to do, regardless. Trusting in the providence of God. We may say no to some opportunities. We may say no to some activities because we're pilgrims and we're strangers in this world. And it's amazing how God always finds ways to bless people who live that way in unexpected ways very often. Number three, as you look at Abram and what he does, a true pilgrim has the promises of God. Let's look at verses 14 through 16 carefully. Genesis 13, 14, the scripture says, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now. Now notice in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. There's no mention of God. Lot's just looking around. He's looking for the best place. But in verse 14, God says to Abram, Abram, you lift up your eyes. And it says, look to the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. All the land which, I, which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Someone has said this is almost like a magnification or maybe even an amplification of the promise that God made back in Genesis 12, verse 2. In Genesis 12, verse 2, God said to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. And now he says to Abram, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand. And if anybody's able to count the sand on the earth, then they can count your descendants as well. A true pilgrim has the promises of God. We need to go back because brethren, our faith, 
Faith operates based on the promises that God makes. Did you know that there are a lot of different motives for obedience to God in the scriptures? We ought to obey because we're grateful. We ought to obey because it's our responsibility and it's commanded. But did you know that the number one reason that the Bible gives for us to obey God, the number one reason is because we believe his promises are true. That's what a pilgrim does. I believe his promises are true. Number four, true pilgrim enjoys the foretaste of God's goodness. Look at verse 17. Arise, God says, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. So God made Abram get up and take a walk. I want you to walk through the land. I want you to look at all of this land. I want you to see it with your own eyes. I want you to feel the grass between your toes, Abram. I want you to see this is what I'm blessing you with. When I was a younger guy, when I was a teenager, we used to eat on Wednesday nights, my family and I, a lot at Chick-fil-A on the way to worship services. Now, in those days, Chick-fil-A's were in shopping malls. They were not standalone restaurants like you have today. And Chick-fil-A, if you remember, in those days when they were in shopping malls, would always have somebody out front with a plate with a lot of little chicken nuggets and the, and the, the, um, the uh, what do you call it? The toothpicks stuck in them. Yeah, I'm thinking straw and I just can't get the word. Toothpicks stuck in the, in the little chicken nuggets. And it was one of my favorite things before we even went into the restaurant and ordered our chicken sandwiches or our chicken nuggets. It was one of my favorite things to go and get one of the one of the samples. It's a foretaste. And oh, the foretaste tasted good. It's a promise of things to come. We're, we're going to have a sandwich and it's going to be wonderful. Pilgrims enjoy the foretaste of God's goodness. God in his mercy and in his grace has provided for us a lot of experiences in our lives that are just a foretaste of what he has in store for us later. That's what he does with Abram. Abram, I want you to walk around the land. By the way, the Bible tells us that Abram died in faith, Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, that we looked at a moment ago, not having received the promises. So Abram lives his life and he dies without even having the promise, the inheritance of the land. It was his descendants that inherited it generations later. But Abram enjoyed the foretaste. You and I, every time we observe the Lord's Supper, we enjoy a foretaste of the goodness of God. The fact that Jesus died for us, we look backwards, but we also look forwards because in, he, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the scripture says, we proclaim his death until he comes. It's a foretaste of the goodness of God and the fellowship we enjoy with God. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine we sometimes sing. We enjoy little bits and pieces in this world of God's goodness toward us. And pilgrims do that, we enjoy that. When we sing together, one of the best things we do as God's people is to lift our voices and praise and worship Him. It's a foretaste of heaven, brethren. Because when we see heaven described in scripture, one of the primary activities you see happening in heaven is singing praises to God. And when we sing together in an assembly like this, it's just a foretaste, just a sample. God's people enjoy the foretaste of God's goodness. Abram, go on a walk. That's the land I'm gonna give to you. Abram didn't even receive it while he lived. Number five, 
A true pilgrim enjoys the privilege of the worship of God. It is not a duty, it's not a responsibility, it is a privilege to worship God. The fact that we can worship God is only made possible by the fact that Jesus shed his blood for us. Did you know that? Because we could come into the most holy place, into God's very presence because of the blood of Jesus. The scripture says we can have boldness to come before his throne to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Pilgrims are worshipers. Every pilgrim, every true pilgrim is a worshiper, an enthusiastic worshiper. Every true pilgrim thinks of it as a privilege to worship God. Are you looking at your Bible? Look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse seven. Genesis chapter 12 and verse seven. Look at what happens. Here's Abram, our positive example of a pilgrim. In Genesis 12 verse seven, the Lord appeared to him and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then look at verse eight of Genesis 12. He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Why is the Bible telling us that? Why does it tell you twice in two verses that wherever Abram went, he built an altar? The reason is, brethren, because pilgrims are worshipers. That's what we do. Now, if you look at Genesis 13, look at verse 18. Genesis 13, verse 18. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Everywhere Abram goes, he worships God. And here's what the worship is about for pilgrims, for people whose world is, this world is not our home. Here's what the worship is about. Worship, yes, is proclaiming that we love and adore and magnify and want to praise God. Yes, primarily, first and foremost. But here's what else worship is about. Listen carefully. Worship is about saying to each other and saying to ourselves and saying to the world, he's what I'm all about. He's who I want more than anything else. I want him more than gold and silver. Only he can satisfy. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I want to be with him forever. That's what our worship is doing as well. We're saying that repeatedly to ourselves and to each other and to the world around us because that's what pilgrims do. This is not our home. We don't belong here. And the decisions we make and the choices we make, those have eternal implications. And therefore, we're gonna worship our way through life because that's what pilgrims do. We're worshipers. It's not just about, you know, you ought to be here on Sunday night because the church worships together. This is what pilgrims are. And the Bible's telling us, don't, don't forget who you are. Don't forget that God saved you. He brought you out of this world and you're not of this world, even though you have to live in this world for a little while. Worship your way through life. That's what pilgrims do. It's a privilege to do so. When you look at Genesis 13 verses 8 through 18, you're going to notice that the Bible is really anxious to make sure that we don't forget who we are. How are you going to live your life? You're going to be like Lot, see only the benefits, but none of the negatives. You're going to be like Abraham and think about how your every decision has implications for how you relate to God. The choice is all of ours. Live like a pilgrim. 
maybe you're here this evening, you're not a New Testament Christian. The way that you come into a right relationship with God, there's only one way to do it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Confess his name. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Repent of your sin. Turn away from the life that you've been living and be baptized, be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. If you're ready to make that commitment this evening, we'd love to help you obey the gospel. Won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing?